BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you, the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by our good friends at justthenews.com and Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Make sure you give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. Even if you don't have friends, uh, tell those who you think might be friends. Today on the show, obviously the uh, the marriage issue, which I think is a, a bit of a ruse because it's not really about marriage at all. It's about something much, much deeper. Want to get into the World Cup a little bit and why Americans don't care? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I'll give you a hint. I think it's a good thing. Uh, and dissent around the world. What are we doing to help advance it, retard it, or anything else that's on your mind? But Gary, I and I don't like doing this because I, when I listen to podcasts, I want the stuff to just get out there. I don't have all day to sit here and listen, but I do have a story I got to tell you. Just got back very early this morning. I was in Israel for. Um, well, almost a month, um, and <clears throat> I fell in love with the new uh, rail system in Israel. Israel has a horrendous traffic problem. I would say it has a terrible parking problem, but that would be unfair because there is no parking. So, in other words, to have a parking problem, you would have to have spaces to fight over. It's a nightmare. I mean, it's it's it's... Absolutely the worst thing about living in Israel is the traffic, the congestion. They've just this multi-billion dollar rail system, which is fabulous. It's just, it goes everywhere. You get from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in 30 minutes. It's beautiful. It's clean. And it's magnificent, except when it doesn't work. I had a flight yesterday. I don't know whether today is yesterday or whatever. I had a flight yesterday morning. 10.30 a.m. I get to the train station at 6.30, thinking I'm going to be at the airport by 7, quarter to 7, 10 to 7, something like that. Well, the train is delayed, 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 delayed. Of course, they give you no explanation. Um, And half an hour later of the train delayed and the other train on the other track also delayed, people are getting the sense there ain't going to be no trains. So hundreds of people start pouring out of this train station in Herzliya, which is a suburb north of Tel Aviv. Everyone frantic to get where they need to go, to get to work, to get their kids to school, to get to the airport. There are no taxis. Don't ask me why, but there are just none. And every once in a while, a cab would drive in, drop somebody off, would already be booked. So there was pandemonium. So finally, at one stage, I just started yelling at the top of my voice, a thousand shekels, which is far too much money. It's $300. $300 to the airport. $300 to the airport. Suddenly, I see a car, a taxi. Uh, I hear it screeches, slams on its brakes. The driver gets out. This is the middle of a street. This is like three lanes, and this is the middle lane. Guy gets out of the car and you know starts motioning to me, "Come on, hurry, hurry, hurry!" And then he proceeds to very rudely throw out three late middle-aged women already in the cab. 
that I guess were coming from the grocery. They were Russians. You know, there's grapefruits, you know, flying out of their plastic bags all over the street, yelling at them, get out, get out, get out, get out, throws them out of the car. And then I try to give one of these Russian women who I really felt badly for a hundred seconds, which is about $30. And she spits at me in the face. I don't think I've ever been spat at in the face. Well, that that must be somebody that knew you. Uh, Look, I I mean, uh, this is breaking news, folks. Uh, I actually had a conversation with Tom some years ago. He briefly considered running for an office in Indiana. Uh, I I think the consideration took him all of like 30 seconds and then (laughs) he came to his senses. And and I was able to help him with that because I ran in 2000 in Republican presidential uh, primaries. And uh, I think I'm probably going to make the last payment on my campaign debt. Uh, So I've tried to get Biden to forgive it, but he won't do it. Anyway, (laughs) uh, Tom, if, if you ever do run. The video of you throwing three women out of that cab. I didn't. The driver did. Oh, no. Don't (laughs) tell me that. It's already at the Democratic National Committee headquarters. The ads are in the starting gate, ready to put up, and there'll be $50 billion spent on it. This will be the equivalent of Mitt Romney's dog on the top of his car. (laughs) What struck me, and we're going to get off this because nobody cares, she didn't spit at the driver who threw them out of the car. She spits at me. And by the way, she did take the hundred shekels. So she spits at me in the face and then takes the money. Are you are you sure that the driver wasn't her son or family? No, it was a cab. It was. a. Well, I know you could have just been taken. Oh, now don't take her side of the story. And and you you knew that they were rushing women. Oh, yeah, because they were they were were Russian. Yeah, you're now on Putin's list. Well, in the past 30 hours that I've been transiting internationally, we've had a development here at home that I'm not even sure how to react to because it's so predictable. Midterm elections come, Republicans win the House barely. Uh, Other than that, it was flat. It was like the Ohio State defense in the second half against Michigan, just flat. A terrible campaign. We, we, We did very poorly. And what are the lessons that we learned? The lessons that we learned are the same lesson we always learn when we lose elections, and that is that the way to ensure we, um, uh, lose the next election is to keep doing everything we've done to lose past elections. So the Respect for Marriage Act, which is a travesty of a name, uh, uh, passes almost without any debate or opposition because uh, you know the numbers better than I. I just got back. 11 Republicans, 12 Republicans, whatever the number right. is, literally 20% of our Republican Senate caucus votes for this thing. Yeah, Tom. Uh, well, you were out of the country and you didn't have to watch this actually blow by blow. Um, it, it was um, it was it was very disheartening. And and, and th- th- you know, this is something that I don't think Republicans, a lot of Republicans here in Washington have any sense of that disheartening your own base. That's a losing game for a political party. You know, uh, that back when Trump uh, first signified that he was going to run for the 2016 Republican presidential nomination, somebody did polling and they asked both Democrats and Republicans, when I say the name of your party, 
What is the first adjective that comes to mind? And the Democrats' first choice in their reaction was proud. They were proud of their party. And why wouldn't they be? Their party actually fights like Hades when they have power. And even when they don't have power, they convince us that they do have more power than us. And they fight to advance that agenda. When they asked Republicans the same question, the number one choice, there wasn't a list of names. I just said, what one word would you come up with to describe the party you're a member of? The number one choice was betrayed. So in 2016, a plurality of Republicans thought of betrayal when they thought of the name Republican Party. So we had this vote. um, I I don't know how much detail you want to go into, Tom, but it, it all starts with the overturn of Roe versus Wade when uh, correctly uh, a majority of the Supreme Court said there was no right to abortion in the Constitution. There never was a right. The word abortion isn't in the Constitution. The founders would have never wanted such a right in the Constitution. So it's not there. It's getting sent back to the states. Our good friend, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, wrote in his own personal opinion, uh, he was part of the majority, but in his his own personal opinion, he said, you know, um, in addition to agreeing with the majority here, uh, I recommend that we look at some other cases. And he mentions the case that uh, uh, said that uh, same-sex marriage was required by our Constitution. I think we should look at some other cases that were set, that were decided on the same flawed logic. Other justices in the majority said, including famously Alito, there is nothing in our abortion ruling that should make anybody worry about any of these other cases. So there was no real threat here that same-sex marriage was going to be ripped away from uh, same-sex couples. But using that as an excuse, they advanced in the Senate. Uh, this bill they uh, misnamed. It's just like the, you know, Fight Inflation Act. It doesn't fight inflation at all. Uh, the This bill that was called the Respect for Marriage it's Act. It's the Disrespect for Marriage Act. It is. It's the Disrespect for Marriage Act. It's the Disrespect for Religious Liberty Act. Uh, it's the Disrespect of States Act. Because what it does is allow a private a uh, cause of action, a, an ability to sue by an individual who believes that another individual has threatened his same-sex marriage rights by not participating in the, in the same-sex marriage or endorsing the same-sex marriage. So th- this is now a bullseye on every American, and there are tens of millions of them of a variety of faiths, that do not accept the new definition of marriage, but rather bitterly cling to the definition that was in force, so I don't know, roughly 3,500 years, uh, long before there was a United States. The thing that was so sickening about it, Tom, was that, as you pointed out, uh, I think it was 12 Republican senators voted for this thing, 
it, it would have never come up for a vote because these 12 Republican senators voted to cut off debate. You need 60 senators to cut off debate. The Democrats have 50. So when 12 Republican senators agreed to cut off debate, they guaranteed that this would become law and would put in greater danger the religious liberty rights of the overwhelming majority of people that vote Republican. And Tom, there were some names on this list that were shocking. Now, Mitt Romney was one of them. I I didn't find it surprising at all that he's made a whole career of uh, betraying the people that worked like crazy to get him elected. But some really solid people, Senator Ernst of Iowa. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, voted for this thing. Uh, uh, Roy Blount, who is leaving the Senate and has for many years been a senator from Missouri that voted overwhelmingly. Missouri voted overwhelmingly in a referendum to uh, reject same-sex marriage a number of years ago. In fact, every state that voted on this before the Supreme Court ruled on same-sex marriage voted against it. Liberal California voted against it. And so did conservative Mississippi. So um, the the thing that just leaps out at you is that now there's going to be a more brutal battle between the demands of the LGBT community and their quote unquote rights and the religious liberty rights of the American people. But the more troubling thing about this, and I can't believe that these 12 senators, that this didn't cross their minds. We just had a demoralizing election. And in a lame duck session, these senators delivered a legislative victory for the Democrat Party. Tom, I am worried. I, I am concerned that this party is on the verge of literally unraveling because you can't keep spinning in the face of your most loyal voters and expect them to turn out for you on election day. It, it what strikes me wasn't the 12 defections. It was the fact that we are making social policy. And I don't think gay marriage uh, proponents or advocates uh, would be in any position to dispute this. We are making social policies with uh, infinite uh, far-reaching uh, potential to change the nature of the society that we live in, and there's no debate about it. The purpose of marriage since time immemorial has been to create and establish paternity, right? By establishing a private sphere from which the state is excluded. Family bonds uh, are sacrosanct. The state has no right to intrude upon them, and that's the very basis of a, of a free society. What, what continues to trouble me to no end is that we live in an age of unbelievable uh, social hubris that um, everything we created that came before us, nothing matters. It's no wonder we live in the age of uh, self-esteem and what other kind of age could lead to any outcome like this. You got to have a hell of a lot of self-esteem, Gary, to assume that we're morally superior 
to every single generation in every single culture who ever preceded us anywhere in the world at any time in history. Are we really that much smarter, Gary? Are we really that much more sensitive and therefore that much more enlightened than anyone who's ever ever lived before us in any time? Look, we all want to do well by meaning well, but meaning well in and of itself doesn't get stuff done. We have to do well, and too often in life, they're not the same things. And today we live in a society, I'll go ahead and say it, maybe we'll get canceled for this, that has largely been feminized. And when I say that, I mean that feelings are more important than standards. Now, this is Tom Rose, not Gary Bauer. I don't want Bauer going home tonight and Carol, you know, throwing a trash can at him. Uh, um, uh, Feelings come first, right? The possibility of being offended when someone wishes you a Merry Christmas, therefore, is enough to abolish the phrase Merry Christmas. This is, this is the problem. And I think that we are so arrogant in our uh, absolute rejection of everything that came before. We talked about this the other day in our, um, in our uh, podcast about the rejection of the past and the refusal or unwillingness to learn anything from the past. So if anybody... Uh, questions or has any concerns about the long-term social benefits of redefining marriage. Therefore, they're ipso facto immoral. They're racist. The question I have is, how come no great moral thinker in all of history ever advocated for same-sex marriage? You sure can't say that about racism. Racism was opposed by every great moral thinker since the Bible. I mean, Moses married a black woman. The word Catholic means universal with a small U, meaning open to everybody, open to every race. Nobody, not Moses, not Jesus, not Buddha, Muhammad, Thomas Aquinas, Gandhi, anyone in the Bible, anyone in the Quran, anyone in any other sacred text that I'm aware of has ever, not even Barack Obama, not even the great sainted theological uh, 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 paragon of our era, Barack Obama before 2012 advocated for this. Now, I'm not arguing that therefore uh, it shouldn't be talked about or discussed or there wouldn't, there aren't merits to it, but the, the frivolousness, the uh, nonchalance with which something like this can just be done, you know, because that's our feeling of the day, that troubles me. Yeah, well, it, it should trouble us all, Tom. Let, let me just talk uh, practically what, what this ends up meaning, because when you pass a law like this, I don't want to get too deep in the legal weeds, but there's something uh, called uh, uh, under the color of law. So what that would mean in effect is that if you're a Catholic charity uh, whose job it is to, to place children that are in orphanages or in foster care into loving homes, but because of the teachings of the Catholic Church, you don't place those children in homes of same-sex couples. Now, it's a Catholic charity, right? And they have a right to follow their views and not place those children in a same-sex couple uh, household. But if that Catholic charity has taken $1 from a local government, a state government, or the federal government, and often they have because it's a public policy good that they're doing by getting children out of foster care, out of orphanages, into loving homes. So, so often government will say, hey, you're doing something we want you to do. So here's a grant to help you do that. Once you've accepted that grant, 
that Catholic charity is not going to be able to turn down a same-sex couple that wants to adopt the child. So it ends up, as we've all known, no society is neutral on values. There's this idea of live and let live. There's no society that does live and let live. It may sound, it may seem like it, but they're not really. Every society has a set of things it will hold up and say, these are the good things. These are the things we're going to do. These are the things we're going to teach our children. These are the things we're going to encourage. And then there's another set of things where they go, oh, those things are bad. Those things are evil. Those things are terrible. Don't teach your children anything about those things. Those are things we want to avoid. And what's happening right now, even though the LGBTQ movement made a lot of their arguments based on live and let live, now that movement is a nailed fist. It demands everybody get in line. And so we saw that happen in the United States Senate. It's going to happen again in the House of Representatives. The first time this law passed there, 47 Republicans voted for it. I think it'll be less this time, but still enough clearly to pass it because the Democrats are already still having the lame duck session, a, a majority. But whether the RNC realizes it, whether Senator Ernst and Senator Blount and uh, the senator from Wyoming, a Christian woman who went to the floor of the Senate multiple times to explain why she voted with the LGBTQ community, whether they realize it or not, I can tell you, Tom, I am hearing from uh, conservative Christian leaders all over the United States. They are demoralized. I, I bet we lose in Georgia because I believe some of those voters will go, why do I even bother? So on top of all that, there's a buzz all over Washington that the reason we didn't do well in November is we're just too darn right wing. We're just too pushy about our conservatism. And what we need to do is move more to the center and stop nominating conservative, you know, tough conservative candidates. There's no evidence that that's what's wrong with the party. In fact, in races where we did that this year, like in Colorado, where the party establishment prevailed in the primary and nominated an establishment Republican for the United States Senate. I talked to people in town, Tom. They said, well, uh, Trump's candidates in Ohio, that guy's not going to win. His candidate here, that guy's not going to get. But we won in Arizona in the prime. I mean, in uh, Colorado in the primary. That guy is the strongest. He didn't even hear the whistle blow. He lost so badly. You can't win elections if you don't turn out your base and then those independents that lean right. If you turn out those two things, we win elections. There's just there's no discussion about any of these fundamentals, about the long term implications, about. Forget gay marriage. What about marriage itself? What about the strength of that institution, whether or not it is able to raise the next generation in such a way as to ensure a stable and ordered society? Charles Murray, the social scientist, wrote this book. You read it long ago called Coming Apart. And he's actually pro-gay marriage. But his argument was that the problem with our society is the collapse of marriage, period. 
Yep. Right. That Absolutely. every and, and, and the collapse of responsible father. Well, that's well, that's exactly the point. That's exactly yes. the point that every major pathology of our time, everyone from from violent crime to gangs, to drug abuse, to alcohol abuse, to uh, school dropout, scholastic failure, teen pregnancy, suicide, and especially domestic violence against women. Every single one of those correlates more strongly to fatherlessness than to anything else. And that's why the prevalence of single parent households, whether it's a divorced or never married, which is the predominant issue, straight or gay or whatever it is, is by far the single greatest social issue of our time. It supersedes every other challenge we have because it's the predominant driver of each and every other challenge we have, and yet nobody talks about it. It's all about the feelings. It's all about uh, my right not to be offended. And in the meantime, talk about missing the forest through the trees, or is it the way is trees through the forest? I mean, Never we're... Could we're get that <laughs> We're focusing on the centipedes at the bottom of the forest rather than the forest. We got to take a break when we come back. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we'll figure it out. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on justthenews.com and Sirius XM, the Patriot, Channel 125. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Bauer and Rose. Um... As we mentioned, I was uh, I was in Israel for. Uh, uh, can I can I just stop you right now? Because you're going to go back to Israel, and I have one more point I wanted to make. Go about go go! No, I was just astutely made. Absolutely, we took the break. We we are close to the point, Tom, um, where a majority of children born each year will leave the hospital and go home to a household where there is no father. A majority, we're around 46, 47% now. It, it, sadly, and, and it breaks my heart, in, in the black community, the figure is already, uh, it's like 75%. Yeah, it's almost 80%. There, there's whole communities in urban America where a, a young boy or a young girl will not only not have a father in his household, or her household that that shows them how a man is supposed to act, that shows the daughter what she should expect from boys in her life. Um, not only will, will those children not have that in their household, they won't know any child on the block that has a father in the home. You can grow the federal government size in Washington, D.C., up the gazoo. You could quadruple the budget. It will not stop the damage that is being done to America by this fact that we're talking about. And here we spend the last 
decade and a half, two decades, arguing about whether men should marry men or women should marry women, but it is unacceptable, not allowed. It's radioactive to have a national conversation about how are we going to get men to be responsible and fulfill their obligations to the women they impregnate and the children that they sire. We're not allowed to have that conversation. In fact, the feminists say men are beside the point. Men, you know, what, what was the famous statement? A woman needs a man the way a fish needs He's, a bicycle. Yes. Me, not at all. Um, so th- this is devastating. We're not a serious country because we can't have a serious conversation about it without people being accused of being, you know, hating women, judgmental or whatever. So elect whoever you want to elect, folks. If we don't come to grips with things like this, we are a country on the way to the ash heap of history. And there's nowhere anywhere written in any sacred text or otherwise that we are preordained by God or anybody else to continue to maintain um, our freedoms. And I think you just hit upon something that can't bear enough discussion. And that is what we're talking about is so much more than how, you know, marriage is defined. We're talking about a concerted, systematic, comprehensive, and very well thought out campaign to destroy traditional social structures, be it the family, uh, certainly religious beliefs and religious values. You know what, let me correct that. Um, Certainly Christian uh, beliefs and Christian values. Um, The destruction of any institution or any force that's able on its own to compete with or in any other way challenge uh, the far left in its control of government. I repeatedly see uh, public opinion surveys that say, you know, 15% of the country is far left or 10% of the country is far left and we shouldn't worry. Um, Problem is that those 10%, the 15%, whatever the number is, run the country. They run every institution. They are the wheelhouse in which our federal bureaucracy works. And And, this is a a Marxist impulse. I mean, destroying the family is part of a neo-Marxist worldview. They want to, Marxism wants to destroy all competing institutions, the church, the family, the little platoons they've been called, uh, community organizations, people, the, the way people bond together to do things that they are, or, and to talk about things they have in common. So uh, I would say to my Republican friends that think that the, the, the path forward for the Republican Party is to stay on the economy, talk about marginal tax rates, make sure you have gro- a growing gross national product. You're on a fool's errand. You, you can lower marginal tax rates to zero. If the family keeps breaking down, if we keep running away from reliable standards of right and wrong, if we leave uh, behind us what every culture in the history of mankind has painfully learned, America will fail. The Republican Party will be, if they, even if they're the majority party, they'll be governing a carcass. It will have absolutely no significance whatsoever. If you're an enemy of the United States, you could not harm America more 
than what we are doing to ourselves with the breakdown of the family, the undermining love of America in our classrooms, and all of the other insanity that we are seeing that spreads throughout our culture and our society. The other night I was uh, with... uh uh, my cousin and a couple of his kids uh, in Jerusalem, and we went out to dinner, uh, had to hurry home and get home to watch the, I don't even know, Costa Rica versus whatever, World Cup. I I tried. I really, Gary, I'm promising you, I really tried. I sat down, um, you know, you can't get a beer at a World Cup game, but, you know, in that refrigerator there were beers. I sat down, I tried, I really tried. Um, it was a zero to zero, right? Um, I... I admit it. I, I don't. Not only do I not get the game, I don't understand why it's so popular. It's 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 boring. There's no physical contact. Uh, there, in the case of a zero zero tie, there's no definitive outcome. Um, you can't use your hands. And then I'm beginning to think to myself, what you know, what what can I bring to the Bauer and Rose podcast that might be beyond something as banal as the fact that I don't like soccer? I think here's an important point, and I think I'm I'm thrilled about it. I'm thrilled that Americans don't give a crap about soccer. I'm thrilled that Fox News, which Fox uh, Sports, which is, God bless them, you know, spent God knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars preparing for this, that their ratings are in the tank. Americans, I didn't realize that. Really? They get, the ratings for the games are not that high? No. No. Not in terms of a Thursday night preseason NFL game. No. Um, well, I think the highest rated, the USA... What was the first game that I don't? Yeah, I don't even know. It wasn't the Iran game, but Wales. Then we played Wales. Yeah, Wales. Right. That's yeah. like uh, yeah. uh, China playing Rhode Island. I'll tell you, the porpoises would have beaten us, but the <laughs> fact that we beat the Wales is nonetheless. Uh, no, but here's the thing, and the left. I don't think it's a coincidence that the left is pushing this. It's a global game. It's a world game. We have distinct games. We have unique games. We have football. Well. You don't in Washington, and I don't in Indianapolis, but the 30 other cities in the U.S. that actually have NFL teams, they have football. We have baseball. We, we have unique American games. And in our era, when every national institution is under attack, when every symbol of unity is under attack, from our national anthem to Thanksgiving, for God's sakes, we have a unique sports culture that separates us from the rest of the world. It's like the last thing out there that unites us. And I think they're pushing uh, uh, soccer so aggressively on the... If you look at the New York Times, it's front page every day about the World Cup. Who gives a rat's patoot about Paraguay versus uh, Guinea-Bissau or whatever it is? I think it's terrific that Americans can't stand uh, soccer, or maybe don't hate it, but have no g- genuine interest in I it. Find it. I just find it frustrating, Tom. It's like, you know, you 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 just they just keep running back and forth, and you, there's never, you know, you, you pointed out that um well let me let me say it this way uh you know the, the thing that sets us apart from the, the from animals is that we have souls but the other thing that sets us apart is we have opposable thumbs <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is why we were able to make tools and do all these things right Nobody in the sport except the goalie can use their opposable thumbs. They can't use their hands at any point in the freaking sport. No wonder the the you know, the, the games are oh this was an unbelievable victory. 
two to nothing. <laughs> two to one, you know. I mean, or what about these zero to zero ties? I mean, how is that? Although the, I'll say this, I'll say this, Gary, in all honesty. Um, the one thing that soccer has going for it, uh, and Anheuser-Busch is not going to like this, there aren't a lot of commercials. You know, you don't, there aren't 37 commercials and, you know, six 30-second uh, timeouts and there aren't huddles. I mean, that's true. The game gets over relatively close to the 90-minute mark. I mean, that, but that's about it. In other words, the only advantage I can see is I can get the heck out of there. Yeah, well, it's, uh, look, I have family members who shall go nameless who played this sport and love the World Cup and really get into it. But it's never become in the United States uh, what what I think the left would like it to become. And I and I do think which now, Tom, did the game originate in England? Oh, yeah. 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 OK, so it, it spread around the world along with colonialism <laughs> and imperialism. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. So that's the, the soccer is the one thing the anti-colonialists still embrace and want to colonize the West by bringing it back and forcing it on America and everybody else. Now, I'll take uh, hefty men beating the crap out of each other every Sunday and, uh, you know, exciting passes and sacking the quarterback. Uh, or, and unique uh, person to person, uh, you know, third and seven. And I design a play as, you know, the coordinator or whatever for the quarterback specifically for the tight end on a on a on a carefully designed route. And the defense has all these schematics. I, I don't share your optimism, Gary, because I think people like Zach Bauer are the future and he genuinely loves no he genuinely loves the game he's extremely knowledgeable about it and from what i gather granted it was for him he was excellent he was an excellent player um which again begs the question of his high school he took his high school to the state championship which he spent his entire uh, i was just going to say it just begs the question we need a paternity test on him finally yeah, <laughs> he took uh, he spent his whole four years uh, playing high school basketball and did very well. But basketball season ended in his senior year and there was still the soccer season was still ahead. So Zach, who had not played soccer for those four years, went to the coach and said, I'd like to try out for the team. And the coach said, really? Yeah. You know, made the team, was a starter and took the team to the state championship where they lost in, I think, a double overtime. But, um, you know, Tom, the thing that Zach never did this. I mean, Zach's the kind of guy that when he got hurt, uh, he would not fall down. He would not whine. He would not <laughs> grab every. All the injuries in soccer are faked. It's all that, fakery. That's, that's the thing I don't like about soccer, that that uh, I don't like whiners generally. And there's at least every injury timeout in a soccer game, 90 percent of them are fake. When you see it on instant replay, I don't know why these guys keep doing this, because you watch on an instant replay and you see in some cases there's not even any physical contact when the guy reaches down and is crying out his name of his mother. You know, right, right, right. I just think and granted, this is, you know, Tom Rose, the conspiracy theorist. I think the effort to push this so aggressively uh, and it's been, you know, 10, 20 years now so aggressively is to is to further globalize this country to further take away any of its unique characteristics. And um, 
obviously it's the world's game. Everybody in the world seems to go gaga over it. I mean, I just witnessed it myself in a country that didn't even make the World Cup. Um, well, riots break out. I mean, both when you win and you lose. I mean, the, the, it's it's amazing. Apparently, the Moroccans the other day uh, rioted in France, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was pretty nasty. So I I don't know. Uh, are you, now are you not going this next game uh, coming up? Is, I couldn't even uh, tell you the Netherlands or something. Yeah, we, we, who are a world power. Uh, <laughs> Is there anything other than this, the Netherlands? No, I no. I mean, am I planning on what? Have I yeah. readjusted my schedule to watch? No, I have greater interest in, you know, uh, well, I can't even think of an analogy, but no, I don't. I mean, I'll read about it on a headline, but um, yeah. are you? Yeah. Uh, I, I probably will just because uh, if, if, when my son loves something, then You're right. I love it too, you know. And I, I, he'll we'll probably be texting each other about it. And uh, but about what? About what? Huh? They don't do anything. They well, run up you, and down. They don't. They don't. What is there to text about? Yeah. Uh, well. Well. Wow. That was close. That's, that's, a, that's a frequent. I just hit that button every ninety seconds or so. And the other thing I'll say I like about it, and then we got to go because we're over time. They're not obsessed about the clock. Football's a little ridiculous. Basketball's even worse. Six tenths of a second. You know, football. Yeah. Uh, we're going to spend ten minutes determining whether we put sixteen seconds back on the play clock. That's very distracting. I hate that, but um, that's about it. Yeah. That's the one last thing on this, uh, it was interesting to watch the Iranian team singing their oh, yeah. national oh, anthem yeah. and we under did, duress yeah. yep. because their government had told them if you know they hadn't sung it at the previous game. Tremendous act they, of courage, by the way. Unlike any of these potsers here, the Colin Kaepernicks, who think they're great moral heroes when they you know defy a tradition because they know there are no consequences, that Iranian team is heroic. Because what they did in that first game by refusing to acknowledge uh, the leadership of that country and the, the Islamist uh, national anthem, that was truly heroic. You know, it didn't hit Trump that when he said about Kaepernick, you know, the guy ought to be thrown off the team and people went crazy that the president said that, that you had the option. Of course, he didn't have the option to say what the Iranian government said to their team. You do that again. We're throwing your entire family in prison. Mm. Now, if anybody would have said to Trump, that was one of the options. Maybe he would have suggested that. But, you you know, uh, Kaepernick laughed all the way to the to to the bank he was considered a national hero by the same neo marxists that are attacking our history the family and all the rest of it um i i uh, i have a great admiration that these young iranian men uh were willing to take that stand uh for their daughters and their wives yep. and their mothers who are treated like crap it's it is it is remarkable how people love and respect and revere uh, freedom so much more in places where it's challenged than in places where it's taken for granted. You have listened, as if you needed to be reminded, of the Bauer and Rose podcast. Many thanks to Gary and our uh, uh, extensive technical crew here at the Bauer and Rose podcast. We'll catch you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Have a great weekend.